Victor Hugo was born in 1802. He passed away in 1885 in his beloved Paris. Historians say he was one of the deepest thinkers that France produced during the 19th century. Without a doubt, he's one of their greatest um, authors, but he was also a great poet. But besides being a, a poet and an author and being such a deep thinker, he was also a social activist. Victor Hugo really cared about the poor, about the hungry, the disenfranchised, those who were marginalized. He cared about the society and all of the people in France in his day. There were several events in his life that really had helped to, to prick his conscience and to focus his attention. I mean, once when he was a young man in Paris, he was walking down the street and he saw a man being arrested. He was arrested because he had stolen a loaf of bread. He knew this man was going to go to jail. But what really got his attention was the fact that this arrest was going on and across the street there was this beautiful carriage. And inside of it was a duchess and her daughter. And they were oblivious to what was going on on the other side. They appeared, appeared to ignore it, to not care. And he thought about these people who, who had so much, everything that they could desire. And there seemed to be no sensitivity or understanding for somebody who had nothing. As they were leading the man away, he watched and he started wondering, did he have a family? Was he trying to feed his children? Growing up, he had a friend, and his friend grew up in a real poverty situation. And because he was struggling so much as a young person, he began to steal. And in the end, he was sent to prison. When he finally got out as a young man, he, he had his yellow card to always say that he, he was a, uh, an ex-con. But he went out in this world and he began to work. So many people wanted to shun him. People didn't want to be around him. But he worked hard to create his own business. He didn't have to count on anybody else. He built his business. And he became so successful, he was able to buy his own factory. And he grew this factory and he became incredibly financially successful. So successful that he got involved in his community. And he was soon doing so many good things in his community to bless other people. One day at his factory, a, a, a wagon fell over on some of his workers. He was the first one there. And with incredible strength, he lifted up off of these people and they were pulled to safety. In 1841, it was winter in Paris. He was walking down the street when he saw a man propositioning a prostitute. In the end, she rejected him. And when she did, he picked up snow and forced it down the front of her dress and hit her. She recoiled and then immediately swung back at him. He started screaming for the police and the police came and he was saying this woman was trying to accost him. They were arresting her. But Victor Hugo had become something of a, of a celebrity by then. 
And he took the time and he went over to speak to the police and say, there's really a different story. He told the police what he had seen, what was going on, and the woman was set free. As she was walking away, he watched her going, and again he wondered. In the society in which they lived, what could she do to provide for herself? Did she have children? What could she do to be able to take care of her family? All these things were rolling around in his mind when in 1845 he sat down to start writing a novel that would look at the society of France with all the struggles that he saw going on, the things he felt needed to happen. He sat down and he began to write. And so he created the character Jean Valjean, a man who had been arrested for stealing bread, trying to feed his sister's son. Put into prison for five years for stealing bread. He tried to escape, and so they sentenced him to 14 more. When he finally got out, he had his yellow card saying he had been a prisoner, number 24601. It's who he would be for the rest of his life. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. No one would let him in. No one would feed him. What do you expect to happen to somebody like that? He came to the bishop's home, and the bishop did let him in, fed him a meal, gave him a roof over his head, a place to sleep. But as Jean Valjean was lying there, and he's thinking about how hopeless he is about his future, he decides to seize the moment, and he sees the silver, and he grabs it and puts it in a bag and flees into the night. The next day, there's some police that come along and see him, his card. They want to just visit and check what he has. When they find the silver, they know he stole it. They bring him back to the bishop's house. They throw him in said, we found him, we caught him, we got your silver. He even had the nerve to tell us that you gave it to him. And this is really the hinge point in the whole novel, this key so early on. Because with one word from the bishop, and Jean Valjean is back in prison for the rest of his life. And there is this pause, and finally the bishop says, uh, well, he's telling you the truth. I did give him those things. And he looks at Jean Valjean and says, but you left so quickly. You forgot the best. And he has two candlesticks to give to him. The police leave, and then the bishop utters those very famous words. But remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness, and I have bought your soul for God. It's a story about God's grace, forgiveness, redemption. He creates the story of Fontaine. 
obviously thinking of a woman he had seen on a snowy day in Paris. A woman who young and thought she was in love and had a summer with a young man who thought it was just a fling. And when summer was over, he was gone and she's expecting a child now alone in the world. She has her daughter. How does she provide for them? She puts her daughter in someone's keeping. She goes to the city to work in a factory in deplorable conditions, trying to send what money she can. Jealousies break out. There's a fight. She is fired. And now she's on the street, and what can she do? She becomes a prostitute. Soon she becomes sick, and she is going to die. The factory was now owned years later by Jean Valjean. And she confronts him and she tells him her story. And Jean Valjean says, I will take your daughter and I will raise her as my own. And then he created the character Javert. Obviously Javert is the law. Someone who believes black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, it's very clear. If you are good, you follow the law. If you are bad, you break the law. And if you are bad, you will be bad forever. It's who you are. There is no understanding of grace or compassion. Right and wrong, black and white, very rigid, dogmatic. It is Javert. Victor Hugo sat down and he took all these things that he saw in society, all these personalities and what was going on and and he would write this story, a story about grace, forgiveness, redemption. It was a story about how God's grace does something in your life. Do you hear the distant drums calling you to a life of compassion? It's really what our scripture lesson is about this morning. Our scripture lesson is a, one of these famous passages as we look at the conversion of Saul and becoming the Apostle Paul. It's all about how Saul believed in right and wrong, good and bad, black and white. It was easy to see. He called himself Pharisee of Pharisees. The lawyer of lawyers is a different way to translate it. He knew what was right and wrong. There was no black and white. You either follow the law of Moses or you were a sinner and should be persecuted. And that's the way that he lived. The spirit of Javert. He is Javert. That spirit that shows no compassion. He stands by while Stephen is being stoned, holding the people's coats. He helps to persecute the church. He gets orders to leave Jerusalem and go to Damascus and persecute the church there. And while Saul is on that road to Damascus, suddenly he gets struck with a blinding light. It knocks him off his horse into the dirt. And he hears that voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now I like the way that, that Luke writes the story because he says his eyes were open, but he could not see. Now you understand, Luke isn't just writing to tell us what happened to Paul. No, he is writing to the early church. He's writing to you and to me. He's writing to, to tell us something more than just what happens. 
It is a statement, his eyes were open and he did not see. That's you and me. How often our eyes are open and we do not see. We do not see the suffering around us, the pain. Sometimes it's the struggles right there under our own roof and our families. Sometimes it's the stranger. How often our eyes are open, but we do not see the gift of grace that God offers to us. This morning, I want us to conclude our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. This is our sixth year of doing it, and it has been so much fun. We hope you have been inspired and have enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed it as we have been designing these worship services. Obviously, this year has been just a little different because of our pandemic, but it's so much fun to dig and to work on these things. This year, or this Sunday, we're obviously looking at Les Miserables, one of the greatest novels in the history of the world. Victor Hugo sat down to write it in 1845. It took him 17 years. He didn't finish and it wasn't published until 1862. And when it came out, the critics really panned it, but the people loved it. It resonated with people's hearts. Les Miserables, it means the miserables. People who are poor, people who are struggling, people who have lost hope, people related to this novel and it seemed to bring inspiration and courage and open people to experience the gift of God's grace and some hope. It sold like crazy. It didn't just sell in France but in England and literally it was selling all around the world. When he got through this novel, I, I want to read you what Victor Hugo said. I don't know whether it will be read by everyone, but it is meant for everyone. It addresses England as well as Spain, Italy as well as France, Germany as well as Ireland, the republics the harbor, that harbor slaves, as well as empires that have serfs. Social problems go beyond frontiers. People's wounds, they do not stop at red and blue lines drawn on a map. Wherever men go in ignorance or despair, wherever women sell themselves for bread, wherever children lack a book to learn from or a warm hearth, Les Miserables knocks at the door and says, Open up. I am here for you. Well, it was read everywhere and literally around the world. For more than 120 years, it was a novel that continued to sell. It was in 1978 when Alain Bluebill from France went to London to go to the theater. He went to go see the musical Oliver. He was a composer himself. And while he was sitting there watching Oliver, he says, it was like someone hit me in the chest. Suddenly, I saw on stage Jean Valjean, Cosette, Marius, Javert, Fantine. He said, I saw them singing. I saw them laughing. I saw them weeping. He came back to, to Paris and he immediately got together with um, 
with Claude Michael Schromborn. He got together with Claude Michael and said, we need to do this. This is a musical. They set to work and it took them two years, 1980. 1980, they opened there in Paris, in French, um, the musical Les Miserables. It was a huge success. They had only booked the theater for three months. But it was so popular, they had already played to 500,000 people. And as they were doing it, of course, it came to an end. But you had all these people from England coming over from London to see what was going on. And now they begin to clamor, we want this show in English back over on West End. You know, it's fascinating. The book in French is 1,900 pages. It's not one of those short little books we get today. 1,900 pages. In English, it's only 1,500. The French have far more beautiful words to tell us what they want us to know. And so that's what it took now to try to say, we're going to take this from French to English. And they brought in Cameron McIntosh. He brought in also the Royal Shakespearean Company. And they all went to work to try to take what this message was of Les Miserables and put it into a musical. It took them a couple of years. And finally, in 1985, it opened in West End. Again, if you go back and read the, the reviews, it's amazing. They talk about how shallow it is, how terrible it is. And the people lined up to buy tickets as fast as they could. It was sold out every night. It actually was sold out for the next 29 years. It's one of the longest running musicals in history. No, it resonated with people's soul. In 1985, because it was such a big hit, they immediately looked across the pond and they wanted to bring it to Broadway. And so it was in 1987 that Les Miserables opened on Broadway and it garnered 13 Tony nominations. Again, it packed it night after night after night for more than 6,600 performances. Went on for years. And then in 2012, they decided to make it into a movie. And when they made it into a movie, it garnered 12 Academy Award nominations. Why? Because it's a story that really speaks to our heart, the human condition. What does it mean to feel hopeless and to experience grace, to feel forgiven and loved, the opportunity for a new beginning? That's what happened for Saul. That's what happened for Jean Valjean. It's what happens for you and for me. And it's why it speaks to our heart and why there is always such a response. Whenever you and I go through St. Luke's on Broadway, we try to look at the truth of the Scripture through the lens of Broadway musicals to celebrate the values that we hold dear. And that's what I want to do this morning as we look at our Scripture, as we look at Les Miserables, and there's really just two things that I, I want us to see. The message, I believe, of this musical is to say to us, through God's grace, you were able to see a new beginning. It is about grace, 
redemption, forgiveness, but it's also about repentance. To repent, the word repent, it literally means to turn. When you repent, you turn and you go a different direction. And that's what this is about. For Saul, he was traveling on the road to Damascus. He had been fire-breathing, a murderer. He had brought so much pain to so many people. And yet he encountered the gift of God's grace. I really like, again, the way that Luke writes it for us. Here he had these eyes that were open but could not see. He gets taken into Damascus. He is blind for the next three days. God speaks to Ananias and tells him to go to Saul and lay his hands on him. He does, and when he does, it says, and the scales fell from his eyes. Now again, Luke isn't trying to tell you something literal. He's telling a story about Saul, but he's telling your story and my story. When you encounter the gift of God's grace, the scales fall from your eyes. Your eyes are open and you can see. And when you encounter the gift of God's grace, what you see is a new opportunity to turn, to go and to do a different you see the opportunity. For Jean Valjean, that's what it was about. You're out of prison. Now you really have sunk to stealing silver from the bishop. I'm giving you a grace moment. A moment when you can turn and go a different way. You're offered the gift of grace. Scales fall from your eyes and you see. What you do with that moment is really up to you. Colm Wilkinson is an incredible singer and actor. You may know of him, Colm. Obviously uh, grew up in, in Ireland, Dublin. Turned out that his father owned an asphalt business. His mom, she was a great singer. His father loved playing the piano and the banjo. Music was always in the house. He was one of ten children. Well, growing up, as his love of music grew, his interest in academics decreased. Seemed to be in common relationship. And by the time he was 15 years old, his teachers called him incorrigible and they threw him out of school. And when he got thrown out of school, his father said, then you're going to work. And he went to work in the asphalt company. He did it for five years. And then at the end of five years, he said, you know, I don't think asphalt is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. He didn't go back to school. No, actually, he went and joined a band. He got some friends of his. They formed a band. They began playing there in Dublin and all around Ireland, and they began traveling around England. His parents were not happy, but they were making enough to hang on. And then in 1972, he heard of a musical that was now going to be produced in Dublin, and he went to audition. It was called Jesus Christ Superstar. He had no real background in acting, and, but he got the part of Judas. Got the part of Judas and he got to experience being on stage and acting and singing. And when it ended, he started thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this is what I need to be focusing on. Some time went by, he kept trying to get parts here and there. 
but it was in the early 1980s he heard of a musical that was going to be cast there in West End and he went to the auditions and he wanted the part of Jean Valjean. It was written for a baritone. He was a tenor. But he went anyway and he stepped in and he began to sing and he was going up and down through octaves and the people who were sitting there listening said, we thought we heard the voice of God. We knew it had to be Him. And so they came back and they changed the music from a baritone to a tenor and, and suddenly Tom Wilkinson was now going to wind up being there in West End in this play Les Miserables as Jean Valjean. He was incredible as he originated this character. I mean, it was a home run. And it was so exciting when they brought the, uh, the musical to Broadway, he actually came with it and continued to play that part on Broadway and garnered a Broadway no Tony nomination for Best Actor in a Musical. He would play it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in front of thousands and thousands of people. He became Jean Valjean. And it certainly launched his life and career and in 2000, and so as it went on, it, it was amazing for him. And when they started talking about making a movie, they came to interview him and they said, why do you think this show has been so popular? Why do you think it hangs on for so long? And I thought it was interesting. Tom Wilkinson said, well, it's not because it's a barrel of laughs, but we still have the haves and have-nots poverty and degradation, and people protesting in the streets. It's very spiritual. It's about sin and redemption and conquering adversity. I think there's a real hunger for that. I think he's right. They continued to speak to our souls so much in 2012, they decided to make a movie of it. Tom Wilkinson was now 68 years old. He was too old to play the part of Jean Valjean again. But the people who were making the movie wanted to honor this man who originated this character. And so they asked him, would you come play the part of the bishop? Be in the movie and play the part of the bishop. They selected Hugh Jackman to be Jean Valjean. Hugh Jackman was an incredible actor, singer. He is a man of great faith. He understood the role. And he calmed Wilkinson when he came. He said, man, they just treated him like royalty on the set. It was very humbling. But he got Hugh off to the side and said, look, if I can help you in any way, oh boy, I'm, thank you for offering. I've been struggling with these songs and I was wondering, how did you? And he goes, wait a minute. When I got this part so many years ago, I didn't do it exactly as they wrote it. I had to do it with authenticity. I had to do it through me. But now it's your turn. It's a movie. It will be different. You need to do it your way. You need to find your song. And Hugh Jackman said, I can't tell you what a weight it was off my shoulders, how freeing it was to have Jean Valjean tell me, you do it your way. You find your song. This is your turn. When the day came for them to shoot their scene in the movie, Calm said he was on set. 
And when he picked up those candlesticks to give them to Jean Valjean, all he could think about, he said, was how so many years before, I'd had kind of a checkered past. And suddenly I was given such an incredible opportunity to change my life. And as I gave those candlesticks to Jean Valjean, it was like me saying, my time is up, it's your turn. You go find your song. I believe that that's the message for each of us. It is through the gift of God's grace that you're given an opportunity. You experience the gift of God's grace and His forgiveness. You can turn. And now this is your opportunity to be the person that God has called you to be. God's gift to you. It's what Saul discovered on the road to Damascus. It's what Jean Valjean discovered in front of the bishop. It is the message for you and for me. The gift of God's grace that opens our eyes. The scales fall away so that we see we are forgiven. We have the opportunity to turn. And there is a future in front of us. But secondly, I believe this is a musical that has the message that when you and I experience the gift of God's grace, when we feel loved, the scales do fall away from our eyes and we see the suffering around us. You know, if you don't feel the need for God's grace, if you feel you've done it all yourself and, and you're just not going to take care of yourself, you will not see the suffering around you. You will not be living a life of compassion. It's all about me. For Saul, he had lived breathing fire and murder and hatred. And then something happened. To experience the gift of God's grace, what does it mean for me now to see something different? to see the suffering around me, to see the need around me. Paul moved from living in a spirit of judgment, a spirit of hardness and meanness, the spirit of Javert, to living in a spirit of love. He began to say to people things like, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now he spent the rest of his life talking about a whole different message about how we are called to be aware of what's around us and to show compassion, to be willing to reach out to love. That's what happened to Jean Valjean to experience the gift of God's grace to now begin to see those who are around you. What did it do to him? Now you see a man who is about to be condemned to prison because he's been mistaken for you and you choose to speak up at a price to you to save him. Jean Valjean becomes the man who 
finds a woman who is dying, who has a child, who has found no help in the world, and he says, I will take your child and raise her as my own. He becomes a man who wants to be inside the barricade when the fighting is going on to save Marius, to get him out of there and give him a possibility for life to be with Cosette. Jean Valjean becomes the man who can confront a Javert and after all they've been through, offer him forgiveness. Now that's what happens when you and I experience the gift of God's grace and we feel loved. Our eyes are opened and we can see the scales fall from our eyes and we can begin to look at compassion around us. And Lord knows the world needs it today. It was General Lamarck who was alive during the early 1800s. General Lamarck was with Napoleon. Napoleon loved Lamarck. He was a very successful general, a very winsome person. He became a real hero in France. I mean, his full name was Jean-Maximilien Lamarck. I mean, what a name. Bob Long. Jean-Maximilien Lamarck. I mean, you'd know he's destined for greatness. You know, sometimes you kind of have name envy from someone like that. Jean-Maximilien Lamarck. He's fought with Napoleon. He was great. But then, of course, Napoleon loses to Wellington. He now is deposed. Lamarck, though, managed to stay in France and was able to get involved in politics and got elected to Parliament. He loved his country of France. But he, too, was someone like Victor Hugo. He believed in human rights. He wanted to help the people. He hated to see what was going on. And so now that even though he was wealthy and now he is powerful as he has been, he goes out and he buys all this land and begins teaching people how to farm. He gives them seed. He gives them farm equipment. It's an experiment to try to say, let us teach you how to do it. Improve our methods so that everybody can grow crops and be fed and no one goes hungry for bread. I mean, that's what he was doing for the poor. When he would be there in Parliament, he would argue for the poor. We need to invest in our economy. We need to invest in our people. And he got so angry when he saw how so often these politicians took the greed for themselves. They got so much. They made quick profits. And they didn't seem to care about the rest of the country and the poor and those who, who needed a break and an opportunity. He was the voice for the poor. But in 1832, in 1832 there was a drought and crops failed. There was an economic downturn and inflation went high. And who gets hurt the most in times like that? The poor. And then there was an epidemic. Cholera broke out and swept across France. 100,000 people died. 18,000 people died in Paris alone. And who died the most? The poor. However, so did General Lamarck. He got cholera and he died. 
And they had a state funeral for him. They put him in a carriage and they began to take him through the city. And all the young students and all the poor, they felt they had lost their voice. And so as they took him in this hearse to carry him to his resting place, out of nowhere students came. They jumped on and they commandeered the carriage um, and, and they took over and they began making speeches and waving flags. It is time for a revolution. We are being treated poorly. The, the poor are going to suffer. No, they started going through the streets and trying to raise the people and say, come fight with us. They began to build barricades. And in the end, students came, 3,000 of them. But the people of Paris did not come. The soldiers came, 30,000 of them. And they told them to throw down your guns. But they began to cry, liberty or death? And so the firing began. Victor Hugo was living in Paris at this time in 1832. Rather than running for safety, he began running through the streets to see what was going on. And as he got through the streets and he's trying to run here and there, in the end as they were building barricades, he found himself suddenly trapped on the student's side. And the fighting was going on and he ducked into an alley in between two columns and there he listened to the bullets whizzing by. It didn't last a full 24 hours. More than 800 were dead or wounded. The students were crushed. And it crushed Victor Hugo because he so loved the idea of what the students were fighting for. It would not be long after that that he would write about this in Les Miserables. Historians say that no one would have remembered the rebellion of 1832 if Victor Hugo had not written about it in his book, Les Miserables. But what Victor Hugo wanted to say was, revolution is not what's going to change the world. The world gets changed one person at a time through the gift of God's grace. It changes your soul into a man like Jean Valjean who speaks up, who rescues a child, who saves someone in a revolution, who chooses to forgive someone who's experienced the gift of God's grace. The scales fall from their eyes. Their eyes are open and they see and they choose to turn and take the opportunity through God's grace that has been given to them. It's how you change the world. And what Jean Valjean would learn, when you choose to love another person, you see the face of God. That's the truth. It's the truth for Jean Valjean. It's the truth for Saul. It's the truth for you and me. The gift of God's grace and the opportunity that it gives us. When you choose to love, we too shall see the face of God. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.